good. I think I, <laughs> I think I sound good. Keller, you, what do you think? I feel great about all of the levels. <laughs> all okay, the great. levels. Okay, great. How are our waveforms? They're looking good, man. Okay, good. They're looking real good. All right. I do. Mm. You look healthy. Mm-hmm. Good. Not blown out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we should we should get started then. Oh man. Um. Hey everybody, welcome to the 500 Greatest Films Podcast. My name is Hector Navarro. Sitting across from me is my good buddy, Mr. Keller Knobloch. Say hi, Keller. Hello. And we have got a very special episode for you today. Our guest is uh, one of the preeminent voices of film criticism on the internet right now. She is a fantastic uh, uh, um, interviewer and (laughs) critic and writer and author, and she's working on her second book currently, and we are so excited to have her. She's also, correct me if I'm wrong, the reigning champion of classic cinema in Hollywood right now, right? Would you oh, say? I can take that. You sure. Can ta- okay, Why great. not? Why not? Great. You did it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Congrats. Thanks. Thanks. Wow. I, I didn't realize we were giving that award out on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been awarded. Alicia Malone, ladies and gentlemen. Hi. Look at the size of that trophy. That is insane. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much Thank for being you. here. We're so excited. Keller and I have been doing this stupid thing for half of a year now. We've said we're going to do it for another nine and a half years. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a commitment. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And last time, we've tried this already and made we it did. four in. Oh, we, wow. then we just restarted this year. Yeah, a year ago at the beginning of 2017, a year and a half ago, I should say, we tried. It was just Keller and I. We did we did four episodes. We had a few guests, and then it got away from us. And thankfully, in the year that happened after that, in all of 2017, film changed. Talking about movies changed. The Me Too movement happened. Thank God, all of these things happened. So when we started again, it was a totally different. Uh, like you know, uh, experience and it mm-hmm. has been awesome. So yeah. yeah, yeah, it's such an interesting project because, like we were talking about before we started filming, you know, this is a list from 2008, <laughs> so it's 10 yeah. years old. It's also interesting to think about who decide this decided this list. Like, mm-hmm. what was the the gender makeup of it? How diverse yes. was it? And that, of course, leads to conversations of who gets to decide the film canon. Yes, and then who ends up on these lists. Yes, one of my uh, uh, favorite books that I've read in the past couple of years is Backwards <laughs> and in Heels. Thanks. I have it right here. I'm holding it. Everybody listen carefully. I just dropped it on the table. Uh, but your book is... Almost knocked y- over the trophy. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Your first book, Alicia, is precisely about that, is about exploring the history of of Hollywood and how many women have contributed to it mm-hmm. and how many of those stories have been buried. Exactly. And now that I have you here, now that we have you here, and I let Keller borrow it and he started reading it. And yeah, it's, I did. It's great. And now that I got you here, I wanted to ask, what was it like doing this research? Because this read is at one time depressing mm-hmm. and also really inspiring and hopeful at the same time. Yeah. What was it like for you? Because you've been a fan of movies since you were a little girl. Yes. And you've always loved classic Hollywood and classic cinema. And the way you write about some of these stories, where you start with some of your childhood experiences, and you're like, I love this actress, I love this movie, me and my sisters would recite all the lines. And then as you go through it, you're like, this is so sad. And (laughs) like, this woman's life was destroyed. It's it's really, it's, It's, but then you always end on this kind of hopeful note. So what was it like for you to like do this research and find these things out? I mean, it was really frustrating because (laughs) firstly, it's infuriating. Firstly, after a lifetime of reading film books, the fact that I hadn't 
hadn't heard about many of these women was so surprising, particularly at the very beginning of Hollywood. And it wasn't until the 1970s that these stories started to be told from the early teens and the the late 1800s that women were really instrumental in the creation of American cinema. And then it was also frustrating to watch, (laughs) sort of step back and look at film history as a whole and watch the peaks and troughs Uh. and the times when you think, oh, maybe things are going to change around now and then they go back to normal. Mm -hmm. And talking to someone like Gina Davis who said, you know, after Thelma and Louise, everyone said, well, this changes everything. Now there's going to be so many films (laughs) with strong female leads and that didn't happen and same with Uh, A League of Their Own. Now there's going to be so many films about women in sport and then that didn't happen. So I did think when I got to the end of the book that it was going to just be all caps and yelling. (laughs) (laughs) The thing that I found, like, this hasn't changed. Nothing's changed. But the thing that I found inspiring was talking to the people who are actively working right now in cinema to change things. Like your J.J. Abrams, who has a lot of power. He's one of the gatekeepers in Hollywood, being a white man, and he is making a concerted effort to include more people, whether it's behind the camera or in front of the camera, and I think that's so important. And then straight after I released this book in (laughs) August, of course, by October, November, everyone was talking about the history of women and Hollywood and and how it's repeated itself, the casting couches and, yeah. and what needs to change going forward. So that does give me a lot of hope because for the first time this conversation yes. has reached fever pitch and I just don't think we can go back. I agree. I, I have had a theory that um, I think with the uh, um, election and, and with the uh, um, Donald Trump uh, somehow winning the United States presidency, maybe aided. We'll 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 know. We'll find out. But with Donald <coughs> Trump uh, um, getting into office, I feel like Hollywood, as an establishment, has had to reflect on itself and mm-hmm. go. We can no longer be okay with this. Okay, but also the group that says we're morally superior to the rest of the world mm-hmm. when we have things in our own um, uh, ways that we do things in our own, uh, culture that we have let slip by. Mm. So I really do believe that, that with what's happening in politics in the United States, it has forced people in Hollywood to finally go, you know what? We're not putting up with this anymore. We're going to purge as much of this bullshit as we can so that we can go back to feeling okay. When we say to the rest of the world, Hey, that's not okay. Hey, that's mm-hmm. not okay. Hey, d- Hey, we can't elect yeah. a guy who treats women like this. Well, look at what Hollywood has been doing yeah, exactly. forever. Because when you look at someone like Harvey Weinstein, he is cut from the same cloth mm-hmm. exactly. as many of the other Hollywood studio moguls from mm-hmm. Louis B. Mayer to Harry Cohn, these very powerful guys who came into Hollywood when it became a business. They took over. It became a, a man's world because mm-hmm. they hired their stepsons, you know, their <laughs> nephews, their cousins, their, um, you know, whatever. Then became a real, real boys club. Yeah. And then they were allowed to go unchecked for so long. And so they had this power and especially young women who would come into Hollywood, you know, with stars yeah. in their eyes. And so I'm, I'm really hopeful that things change from now on. And I think that they are. And, and it's important that we talk about each of these films, as you have been doing as you go through the list, in the context of, of when they were made, what was happening, and who made yeah. them, because I don't think you can separate art from artist. That's thank right. you. The other thing I love about this book, Alicia, that I wanted to thank you for was how much you focus on people of color and their struggles as well. That that it's intertwined. Yes. You know that that every time you praise a phenomenal performance by a beloved actress 
But if she happens to be in yellow face, mm-hmm. you point that out and you're like, this is problematic. It's mm-hmm. still an issue. Yes. And, you know, and you talk about those kinds of that ebb and flow of, of how Hollywood has worked through that and, and those kinds of systems. But I really do love how much of a, of a focus you put on a lot of actresses of color that their stories were just, you know, you talk yeah. about certain actresses, you're like, if they had been born 20 years later, yeah. they would have hit that stardom that they were, that they deserved. Exactly. Yeah, they but yeah. they, I they know. It, that really breaks my heart because you see such talented performers, someone like Hattie McDaniel, mm-hmm. who was always given stereotypical roles, subservient roles. But then there was also a lot of hope to be found in people like her, you know, shining a light and building a path that eventually other people could follow. But everything that happens to women, it's so much worse for, for women of color and people it's of true. color in yeah. general. So it was important to me to try to talk about those stories and also to try to enlist experts in the diversity yeah. field to talk about them and make sure I did my research because being a white girl from Australia, you know, <laughs> <laughs> didn't want to step in and be like, here's what happened, yeah. you know? So, uh, yeah, that was very important to look at those stories. And Dorothy Dandridge is one yeah. that just always breaks my heart. She had Ugh. so much talent, but she wasn't able to get the roles to show it. Yeah. Another great experience too. And then we'll talk about your next book. Yes. I want to talk about your next book, but, uh, I loved the, the section on anime Wong. Yes. who was a fantastic actor who you also described like she was trying to get started in the United States mm-hmm. being an American but also her 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 uh you know her family's home country in China they were also criticizing her and her work for not being Chinese enough mm-hmm. oh, and that okay. sort of right that sort yeah. of balance and that struggle yeah. I remember as a kid growing up and um my parents being from Mexico my mom and dad being from Mexico and I'm being born in the United States my mom would point out that actress Selma Hayek was not loved in Mexico mm. for a lot of those same reasons. And that it was, she was almost in a lot of, you know, she, her, she was so criticized about her relationships and that the media in Mexico especially cared about the sort of like soap opera dealings of the actor's life. And Selma was like, I just want to be taken seriously mm-hmm. as an actor. Mm-hmm. And my mom would, would make it a point to point to Selma Hayek and go, she is a fantastic actor and she's, you know, and she's doing things, going against all of these double standards and everything. So I, I felt like yeah. I understood that from that. Yeah, side it, yeah. I must, it must be incredibly hard to not feel like you're enough in either place. You're mm-hmm. either too American, And it's not too even Chinese. their fault. They're not the one making the movie. They're yeah. just in the movie. Exactly. exactly. And it's, that's something they're like... They're just trying to get whatever role possible. Yeah, with yeah. Um, Turner Classic Movies coming up in... August we do a summer under the stars where we take a star and then we show a lot of films by that uh, who's featuring that star mm-hmm. one of the stars we have is Lupe Velez who is a Mexican actress mm-hmm. and she was so criticized for yeah. taking on the Mexican Spitfire series and it's definitely perpetuating that stereotype of Latina women being these feisty mm-hmm. yeah. you know Spitfires very loud very emotional mm-hmm. but that was all she could get mm-hmm. and she did the best she could with what she was offered yeah. and just by being there I think on screen yep. was important for other people to look to as an mm-hmm. example of some kind of representation. Exactly. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah that's a sad story as well. <laughs> I know. I mean, they're all sad, but they again, all are. they're they're great because you your your love and your passion of cinema comes through and your your when you look back on some of these stories, you do highlight how much they influenced future filmmakers, even if they couldn't, if they didn't live to see it. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of these women, they had very tragic ends to their lives. And if they didn't live to see how much they influenced 
actors, directors, filmmakers, the type of, of, of women in Hollywood today that are still sort of carrying that torch, you still highlight that, which is always great. Yeah, but yeah. it's like building blocks. So. Yeah. yeah. It and is then a, eventually we'll get there. It's a roller coaster yes. for Reed, Alicia. It's up and down. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, I know, me oh. too. And it's just like over and over again yeah. because you're just like one person's sad yeah. story, then happy yeah, story. Then person's exactly. sad story. I know. I know. It's great. But it's so great. It is great. It's I all, learned it, so much. At this point, if you guys haven't read it yet. It is infuriating. But it's, it's infuriating, but, but it's like informative. You know it. It's informative. It's mandatory reading. It, it really is. is. If you're a fan Thank of movies, you. you need to read this book. Because yeah, it's, it's a so, textbook. It's a textbook. Thanks. It's yeah, great. I felt like, I mean, there's there's other books, obviously, that cover women in film. That's the thing. Like, a lot of the other books I found are women in film are fantastic, but very academic. Yeah. So I wanted to write something that was accessible to the people that like to hear from me and uh, might not know about these stories. Yeah, it's great. So tell yeah. us about your next book. Your opinions yeah. like come through though. It's yeah. like, yeah. it's informative. The fury comes through a little okay, bit. Good. Yeah. <laughs> good. Um, yeah, so I'm working on my second book at the moment. So after this book, lots of people would say, okay, so I want to support women in film. What's the best way to do that? The best way to do that is to watch movies made by women. Even if you think, well, I'm just streaming this movie, it all counts. Every view counts. Yeah. So then I I get asked, well, which movies should I watch made by women? And the thing that often infuriates me about these lists, particularly the AFI Top 100, yep. is that it doesn't feature a single film made by a female director. Not I'm not one. sure about this one. I'm sure it's still male heavy, this one, but probably has yeah. a couple in there. Um, so I thought I would do a list book, a guidebook, something that could be on a coffee table, mm-hmm. easy and accessible, and um, and it could be 30 films made by women. I just chose that number kind of arbitrarily, just given my time frame. I thought I can't do 50, uh, 20 didn't seem like enough. Mm-hmm. And so I've chosen films from... 1906 is my first one, all the way through to 2017, wow. from all different countries, all different eras, That's super um, and different points of view, and each film I write about it and what makes it particularly female. And then I've asked a bunch of established female film critics who I love to submit little essays on films that they love oh, made by awesome. women so I can have more voices and more films in there. And um, and this one is is much more uplifting to watch because there's so many so much great stuff to dig into. Yeah. And so it's called the female gaze, which is a play on the male gaze of, of films and how films historically, as seen through a male lens, have made have viewed women in a certain way, mm-hmm. and how that's affected all of us the way in how, how we see women anybody. and how women view themselves and view each other. Mm-hmm. So each of the films is like, so what's the female perspective on this? What makes it different from, you know, if a man directed it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited. That's great. It was um, the, the story that was just happening on Twitter that I just saw a little bit ago was George Miller asked uh, uh, his his editor, who's a female editor, to, to do who is his Mad wife? Max Fury Road, who is his wife. Yeah, his wife, yeah, to, Margaret Sixor. Yes, was, to yeah. edit... Fury Road, so Mad Max. Why'd Fury you Road. ask me to do that? I've never done an action movie before. And he mm-hmm. said, because if a man did it, it would be like every other action movie. Mm-hmm. And she ended up winning the Oscar for it. Yes. So, oh, it yeah. And yeah. it was so different, wasn't it's it? So seeing good, Furiosa. Yeah. Yeah, such a different character than we've seen on yes. screen for the action films before. She's vulnerable again, and strong, yeah. and not strong in just a male way, right? But she has very feminine qualities about her too. And yeah. one of my favorite parts of that movie is, uh, and people really zeroed in on it, is when Tom Hardy, Max, like 
knows that he's not as good of a shot, so he yeah. like gives her the gun. Yeah. It's even the action of the male action hero letting a female character like handle something that he knows. He's like, it doesn't matter who takes care of it. Somebody has to take care of it, and that's her strength. I'm mm-hmm. going to give her this gun. That was also a big moment, too, that mm. uh, I love that people zeroed in on that. But cool. When does that come out? So that will be out towards the end of the year. Okay. I don't oh, have nice. an exact pretty release soon, date though. yet okay, because, good. yeah, I'm awesome. working through it at the moment. <laughs> but it'll be pretty quick turnaround, so I think it'll be out in October or November. Cool. Maybe a great Christmas awesome. gift. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, write it Absolutely. down. Yeah. For all of you young film fans out there, get it for other young film fans in your life. That's going to be... Do a podcast where you go through each awesome. 30 films. Yeah, you I, can get this book now, read it, and tell you this one comes out. Yeah. Get yeah. backwards and in heels. Yeah. Thanks, and then, guys. Yeah. Absolutely. Appreciate um, it. I really want to pick your brain, too, about what you consider some of the greatest films of all time. But let's talk about this movie and get this. Oh, yeah. We have to do this. We have to do this now. <laughs> yeah. It's just been so interesting talking to Alicia this whole time. Uh, but let's talk about... Uh, so we have a... Um, I don't know if you know this. We have a little bit of a, a tradition here on the show. Yes, the uh, terrible English accent. <gasps> Thank oh. you. <laughs> Thank you. Right off the bat. I think it's pretty good. Now listen, I think I think you're our you're our second Australian yeah. on the show. Uh, have not, you had not a Brit. Anyone? We haven't had a Brit yeah. yet. No Brits yet. But and I, I'm pumped to look them right in the eyes <laughs> and just the give accent. it to them. I'm going to memorize it that week. <laughs> okay, <take>. Just <laughs> I'm convinced great. that our Brit, our first Brit guest, is going to go like that's actually pretty good. Yeah. I'm convinced that they're going to do that. But that's just me. I'm just it a dumb American. With, okay, thank great. you. It's very funny though. Very self conscious about it. But it's good. Yeah, it is. Theatrical. I steal a lot from various Attenborough. Attenborough, Paul F. Tompkins. Yeah. Yes, noted British man. Paul F. Tompkins. Well, he does Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> Man, he's right. great. What are we talking about today? Keller, hit us with it. 472. <laughs> Les Doulos. 1962. Director Jean-Pierre Melville. French director Melville did for gangsters exactly what the Italian Sergio Leone did for cowboys creating a distinctively European take on a predominantly American form by focusing on details of props and costume in a hyper-realist manner, spinning familiar B-plot lines into fable-like miniature epics of betrayal and revenge. This is the longest sentence of all time. (laughs) And stressing brutally professional violence to an almost existential degree. Mm, pretty good nice yeah it's and like an, an old man voice isn't it yeah it is <laughs> yeah. it is yeah. it's an old british guy who lives in a library uh-huh. yes i because like it it's empire magazine this is in my head who mm. created this list are these yeah. old, old british yeah guys. that's why it's, <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah parliament made this list yeah, yeah. <laughs> can we all agree that exactly. 473 yeah i think that's a pretty good summary though yeah what did you uh so you Alicia, you said you'd seen the movie mm-hmm. when you were in high school. I and Keller... How did you find it then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I went through a whole period. I mean, I was a really fun kid who would just stay in and watch movies instead of going out to parties or being with boys or anything. My friends always used to so use me better. as like alibis for like going out. So they would come over under the, the we premise French of like films. watching yeah. French films and mm. then they would leave and go hang out with boys. Yeah. I couldn't understand it. Yeah. Anyway, so I went through a whole time <laughs> going through film books and writing down 
names of directors and names of movies. Mm -hmm. So I remember when I was a teenager and I would go up to the local video store and I'd get seven films for seven days for $7 bargain and that would be my week. And I remember coming across uh, Le Samurai and Mm. it was talked about in a lot of film books because it's hugely influential, especially for the gangster genre. And so I went and I watched that one. I thought, oh, I want to see more by Jean-Pierre Melville. It's Mm -hmm. like, who is this guy? So then I watched like uh, Le Cercle Rouge, Bob Le Flambeau, and then Le Doulos. So I remembered it vaguely, but Mm -hmm. it it couldn't quite remember the details until I watched it again. And I would say it's not my favorite by Melville, but Mm -hmm. it is an interesting film to look at in terms of his style. It is. And it's the only Melville movie on the list. We really? Up. Yeah. Oh, really? I'll, wow. I'll, I'll check check it. Samurai would be on there. I'll yeah. check it right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it is. Let me double check. And as I, as you guys were speaking earlier about, about Alicia's new book, I was also doing a little flip through of like, um, uh, of, oh, no, no, no. There's oh, no, more. There's, there's couple, more. Yeah. You got Le Samurai, Army of Shadows. Oh, yeah. Army of Shadows. Le Cercle Le, Rouge. Le Cercle Rouge. Yeah. Okay, great. So he's got four on here. Oh, mm. I thought I only had one. Maybe I was confusing him with Sean Penn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sean Penn's only, <laughs> only got one, one movie on mo- here. Yeah. Surprising. Yeah, the one movie on list that he directed. But, uh, <laughs> but I was also flipping through earlier, and like it felt like for every, I'd say maybe 40 male directors, there was like one female director. Mm. So, there, so there are movies on here from from female directors, but okay, it, it, the ratio is like, yeah. It's, they did it's ask a few women. Yeah. <laughs> they did ask one, one or two women. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do they thought? Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, so... Uh, I'm so, trying to find it. On the front page, it like lists... Two women. Oh, it God. does. So you watched, you rewatched this a few days ago, Alicia. Yes. You used your film struck contacts. You called them up. You're like, I need this movie now. Yes. Send it to me. I want to um, watch this movie. Yeah. yeah. But what did you, uh, what did you think overall thoughts on your rewatch? Overall thoughts is that uh, it's very enjoyable film. I think it's a movie that comes together at the end. Yeah. And like many heist movies where suddenly you have a flashback and that uh, colors everything that you've seen before. Mm-hmm. But the plot is very convoluted. It yeah. is. And it's in French. So <laughs> yeah, that makes so it like, even harder. You need you need a diagram to write down everyone's names and like how mm-hmm. it's all coming together and, and mm-hmm. what's happening. But the thing that I enjoy about it the most is the style. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Jean-Pierre Melville had this great style he was someone who loved american cinema and actually melville wasn't his name that he was born with he uh, took that name from his favorite american author herman melville moby dick because he loved yeah he loved uh american literature and he loved especially american film so he's really interesting because he melded together 30s gangster films with 40s film noir and then 60s kind of French experimental sensibility. Yeah. And he's someone who was adjacent to the French New Wave. He wasn't really, not really included in those. Because he's kind of doing old school stuff. Yeah, he's doing yeah. old school stuff. He's not playing with the conventions quite as much mm-hmm. as someone like Jean-Luc Godard or Francois Truffaut. He also wasn't extremely political. So yeah. he kind of did his own thing. But he was even influential on someone like uh, Jean-Luc Godard who took from him the jump cuts and then mm. took it to another level with his movies. So he's an interesting person to look at. And you see that with this film, just the style of it, the trench coats, the hats, yeah. Yeah. the shadows, the yeah. guns, the dames, you know, it does feel like a, a very much a, a film noir. Yeah, there was a scene in the middle of it that I told Keller. Well, first of all, the way I watched the movie, because of the convoluted plot and the fact that it's in another language, just like just I'm watching had the it. the summary pulled up. Yeah, I was on Wikipedia and go, I was going paragraph by paragraph, not spoiling too much ahead, but I was like reading a paragraph. I'm like, okay, here's what happens in this scene as we're watching it. So I, so I get the overall 
overall thing of what's happening and then I can enjoy some of the nuances, some of the acting, the camera usage, all of that stuff. And that's kind of how I'd keep going. Um, and that made me enjoy the movie because it made me mm-hmm. pay attention. It made me enjoy the film as opposed mm. to trying and to really uh, understand what was happening. Yeah. yeah what did you guys think? Basic of it? plot. Overall thoughts. I liked it. I, I think that it's one of the movies that we come across a lot of these, you know, I, this is why we have you on the show today, Alicia. I am not super well-versed in classic cinema, especially French cinema and a lot of foreign cinema. And, um, I, but it's still something that I'd like to think I can appreciate. Mm-hmm. And knowing that this is 1963 and also knowing, you know, you talk about it in backwards and in heels, the sort of restrictions that American filmmakers were being put through in the forties and fifties and kind of going into the sixties that Europe Europeans were able to kind of get away with more yeah. made me appreciate some of the violence in this. It was mm-hmm. re- really shocking. Yeah. Yes. The opening scene where the character Gilbert, who's looking at a diamond, like gets shot when, when Maurice, one of our main characters picks up the gun in my head, I thought it'd be crazy if he shot him right now, but that's not because he's happen. like, oh, I don't he, use guns. Yeah, yeah. And then he shot him and I was like, oh, this is very exciting. And in 1963, it was probably it came out of nowhere. Because yeah. I was expecting, man, I love this guy messing with the jewels. He's going to yeah. be a great character for this <laughs> entire movie. He wasn't. No, yeah. so definitely wasn't. It was full Sorry, of that. Gilbert. So, yeah, Paul uh, <laughs> Gilbert. It's poor Gilbert. So yeah, so these types of movies that like, I don't think it's going to become one of my favorites. I won't revisit it. I, you know, um, I'm looking forward to the rest of this director's movies yes. when we get to them. Yeah. And like a lot of classic cinema, I can appreciate it for what it is. But it's not something that it, you know, it's, it's not going to have a little space in my heart that I'm going to keep mm. sharing. Mm-hmm. With people and revisiting, but um, it's it's like film class. It's great. Like I'll watch it again when I learn French. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> watch it in French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. because yeah, because uh, my girlfriend Abby was here. She knows a little bit of French. She watched it with us, and she was saying like the subtitles in English would say one thing, but the French meaning might mean a different thing. I mean, mm-hmm. even the title of the movie. Yeah, we have uh, Keller's got in front of him a Korean import DVD that we ordered, which it uh, uses the American title, The Finger Man. The Finger Man. And even in French, the title has a double meaning. Yes, and it explains it at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, yeah. That yeah it's that just like Le Doulos is uh, another the word for hat slang but also a slang for informant and that's what everything is about with the film is mm-hmm. who is an informant who can you trust who can you not trust mm-hmm. and it does set up a really great mood and i think it's one of these films I, I agree with you that might not end up as one of your all-time favorites but it's something that you kind of place in your mind and it stays back there and then you see how influential the director was when yeah. you watch other and it's movies. like a great homage to noir in yes. the 60s i yeah. don't know anything about noir or 60s <laughs> yes. uh, french film so i'm just like this is okay yeah. and yeah. then realizing that he was just doing callbacks to everything else from yeah. exactly. 20 30 years ago exactly because you have the the violence from the 30s the gangster films in mm-hmm. america in the 1930s were really violent that was just before the production code came in and part of the reason why they had to have censorship mm-hmm. was because it was extremely violent particularly towards women. Mm-hmm. And then you have in the 1940s with film noir, the kind of the fear of authority, the distrust, the suspicion after the war and the shadows and the darkness and particularly with suspicion about women who were becoming yeah. more independent and they became the film noir, um, ah. the femme fatales. And then in the 60s in, in, France, in France, you had all these emerging directors starting to take chances and these were directors who grew up watching American cinema and then they decided to play with those conventions and make new ideas and uh, put it out there. And then in the 60s in America, you started to see these foreign films come over here, which then in turn influenced mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese oh, and, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and things like Bonnie and Clyde. 
and those films of the new Hollywood once the production code was abolished. So mm-hmm. I find it really fascinating how everything influences everything else. Yeah, absolutely. This I, movie wasn't nice to women. No, no. It, no. Not at all. That's something I particularly want to talk about. Yes. <laughs> yes, we will talk about that. When Alicia brought that up, I was like, mm, that makes a lot of sense to mm-hmm. what happens mm-hmm. to the female characters in this movie. Keller, real quick, what were your overall thoughts? Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it looked very cool. Mm-hmm. It was very convoluted. Mm-hmm. I had just had Hector, what happened? Hector, mm-hmm. who's that? Who mm-hmm. killed who? Who's got the jewels? Who knew about the jewels? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, one of the things that Melville does with this film on purpose is to make every guy look the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all wearing the hat. They're all wearing the trench coat, and there are moments when the hat will obscure their face, mm-hmm. so you don't know who it actually is, or they're in shadows, so you don't know who is who. And I think that was on purpose, but it does make it extra confusing exactly. to follow who is who. A character digs up the jewels and the gun and the money, and Keller, you're like, wait, did they show who did that? And I read on Wikipedia, so I knew who did it, and uh, I was like, I don't think they did. No, because yeah, it, it was an obscure yeah. male character that went and did that stuff. So Yeah, the yeah. use of shadows, I think, is exactly. just wonderful yeah, in this y- film. Yeah, multiple just, times throughout it, Keller you was You see like, the outline of a fedora yep mm-hmm. you were like that's a great shot that's a great look at what they're doing with the camera that looks really i cool. loved the that super long scene where he's just taking the camera around in circles mm-hmm. and just following people that was great yes. i don't remember in the police station yeah it yeah. was so long it was like yeah. a 15 or 10 minute scene or something yeah yeah some of the, the cinematography is is wonderful like even the opening shot you see the guy walking down the street and it's a mm-hmm. long take and that was something I asked they did in the Hector, 60s. I like, is this whole movie just this guy walking around? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was something they started doing particularly more in the 60s as cameras got more mobile and they mm-hmm. could move them and I want to make a two-hour movie of a guy walking yeah. around walking, in the I know. <laughs> and I love the sound of the footsteps. I yeah. mean, oh, yeah. it's, it's also oh, evocative. Old movie Foley. And the music. Old oh, movie yes. Foley is some footsteps of my favorite. Especially. Oh my God. I yeah. love like, it. That's Dress shoes on cobblestone? Yes. Like the Godfather's a great movie, but my favorite thing about The Godfather is just the old 70s, like massive suits. Foley. No, I just miss the, it. The footsteps and As stuff. As people it's walk. Great. Yeah, I really miss that sound. <laughs> and, and that sound really is, especially reminds me of 60s French movies because yeah. that happened a lot. A lot of like running on cobblestones yeah. and running like, up the stairs. Have tiny feet. Running along. And then you open up with that very naturalistic shot of the guy walking down the street. And then more, you know, 15 minutes into the movie, characters get into a car. And then it's that classic 60s fake projection car yeah, thing. Rear projection. Yeah, so yeah, the rear yeah. projection. It's, it takes me right out. I'm like, this is so great. It's so cheesy. Yeah. Uh, that they couldn't quite figure out how to do cameras in with moving cars yet. No, like they, they didn't. Figure it wasn't it out yet. quite that mobile. They could they could move it along a street, but they couldn't yeah. actually hoist it onto a car because it was still so cumbersome. <laughs> there was a scene in the middle of the film too, where um, uh, Salian is that's a, that's that guy right? Yeah, yeah. Jean Paul Belmondo. Cillian. Cillian's character goes and talks with. Um, uh, an ex-girlfriend of his in the club and it just reminded me so much of speaking of we were talking about it earlier number 500 on the list Ocean's Eleven the scene where George Clooney goes to talk to Julia Roberts and then Andy Garcia shows up like that little scene Absolutely. was so great and so efficient and watching the scene in uh, in Le Doulou today like reminded me of that yeah I know you see that a lot like uh, when you get to La Samurai you'll be like oh this is drive or this is uh, baby driver it's it's anything with a very silent strong male type and Melville was really influential in terms of heist movies Mm -hmm. and and also someone like Jules Dassin was also very influential with heist movies so you do see them pop up with things like Heat or um, yeah Oceans Mm -hmm. any kind of heist gangster film that you keep noticing 
interesting. We're, we're, Keller and I will get to that in six years. Oh, yeah. great. Six years, Number definitely. I can't wait to know what you think it of it. in my calendar. Yeah. <laughs> Should we pencil you in, Alicia, to come back yeah. six yeah. years from now? Six years, I'll be here. We're all planning to be alive in six okay. years, right? Yeah, I'll just definitely. pencil you in right there. There we go. Yeah, that's number 183 on the list. So that'll be... Lisa Frank? So that'll be... Uh, yeah, it is. It's Spotty Dottie. That's right. Lisa Frank. Um, no, it's, it's not Lisa Frank. It's uh, uh, Sanrio. That's what it is. Oh, I'm sorry. Anyway. There's um, also cool. a really great shot. My favorite shot in this film is towards the end where you just see a shadow and the gun pointing out. Oh, and yeah. The guy can, the prisoner. And it's used a million times in everything else now. Yes. Yeah. And that is such a great shot. It is. Yeah. It's a movie from 1963. It's in black and white. It's French. And at the end, after a main character shoots that uh, the little the little uh, screen, boom, 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 mm-hmm. and then we see the the Kern, like oh, this, yeah. like you know the the, the ex convict or prisoner or whatever, come Kern. out from behind it. Yeah. Kern, we don't know if he got shot or not. We were all like, oh, wait, what? Oh, what's about to happen? And he like takes a couple steps forward. And, and then it falls down. Yeah. But and it has still, the most noir ending of yeah. all time. It yes. shoots him in the back. Yeah. I know. Well, that was the thing of um, a lot of these film noir movies, and particularly in the, the 40s when the production code was still in place in America, it was very much about putting the message in that crime doesn't pay. Mm. Yeah. So everyone has mm. to die at the end or something has to happen that's terrible so that people watching the film wouldn't get the message of, oh, that looks great, yeah. life of crime. <laughs> I mean, it looks wonderful. And then in the 60s, obviously, in France, they had much more leeway, but it does have that very typical yeah. film noir ending where it's nothing's good for anyone. He's no, able to isn't. crawl to the phone and go, honey, I'm not going to make it tonight. Ugh. It's and such it, a know. good last line. Yeah. And then he looks at himself in the mirror, yes. puts on a hat. <laughs> you see him looking at himself so many times throughout yeah. the film. Wow. Jean-Paul Belmondo is a great actor from the French New Wave. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in Breathless and Pierre Le Fou, the Jean-Luc Godard films. And he has such an interesting face mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. him. And he's a great character, I think, a great actor to play this character, Cillian, who you just, you're not sure about mm-hmm. for most of the film. For the very beginning, you think, well, he's the informant, yeah. obviously, and then it all twists around at the end. Yeah, It's a good twist. It, it got is. me. The fact yeah. that he, like, beat on a woman and tied her up, and we'll talk about that, but, like, that made me go, oh, this guy's a piece of shit. Like, he's yeah. a bad guy. And then at the he's end, when they reveal the that she was the informant, you're still kind of like, well, they're all kind of pieces of shit but like yeah i guess he was he was you know one of the allies of the our character maurice the whole yeah. way through so that's something you see pop up in melville's films the idea of code mm. men living by a code mm. Mm. and so his code was loyalty and friendship and mm. that above everything else but you don't know that yeah he was, wasn't very good at displaying that no. obviously because yeah. that's how he, he met that his demise <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah his face reminded me of uh tom, tom hardy. hardy yeah, yeah it's that kind of interesting like tough guy but yeah. also very attractive yeah like a baby face but tough and he's got those like soft lips like he's got tom hardy lips mm-hmm. so i was thinking yeah if they ever like if they remade this I, I bet you tom hardy could do a good job yeah. in that role and someone was, should remake this i mean it's basically been remade over and over and over yeah. like every heist you know it's yeah. it's and i and i read on wikipedia uh, the script is, is was a big influence on tarantino and a huge influence for reservoir dogs and people I'm say like, it's his course. favorite story oh, yeah. yeah of course his favorite it was platinum movie of course or something. it was you can yeah. absolutely tell and you can especially with the ending where everyone yeah. dies i mean yeah. that's the same with reservoir dogs yep absolutely so let's talk hey guys, about everybody and dies the uniform. at the end of reservoir dogs yeah. <laughs> And also, yeah, Reservoir Dogs, like the uniform and Mm -hmm. the interchangeability of the characters. Mm -hmm. And they just. And he's wearing that slim black tie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Absolutely. That's why I love talking about classic film because yeah. it all links together. Yeah, it's true. You see it everywhere. Yeah. I, I don't have that kind of knowledge. Uh, you will in 10 years, dude. Basically, after you we will. get to this. Probably not. But it's, we got to watch yeah. Phantom Menace and bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I know. Pirates, it's, Pirates of the Caribbean. We already yeah. did that one. Don't worry about it. Yeah, but don't worry. We found the one guy who loves that movie so much. <laughs> exactly. It was a good time. It was yeah. our buddy Matt. Uh, shout out to Matt. Also, it was a good time. Thanks, Matt. Um, but uh, it's just forty-five minutes too long. Yeah. Yeah. It's just super bloated and bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I just had a thought. Let's talk about the portrayal of women in this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is an interesting conversation to be had because obviously, like you mentioned, there's a scene that is incredibly brutal where Cillian comes in and beats up this It's very girl. shocking too because yeah. it looks like he's just coming on to her the whole time and then all of a sudden starts yeah. to slap her in the face. Slap her in the face. Thing. You see blood come yeah. out of yeah. her nose. She gets gagged and tied to a the radiator. radiator. And mm-hmm. then you see her going off a giant cliff in a car, being pushed off by yeah. by uh, his other friend, Jean. And so and this is after Maurice's girlfriend, has other girlfriend has, has died. Has already been killed already by been, the first yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and, and then later on, you see the other woman just basically being told what to do. And mm-hmm. so... While she's naked in the bed. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is very problematic. And, and so after this movie was released, uh, Jean-Paul Mel... Jean-Pierre Melville got a lot of criticism about mm-hmm. the mistreatment of women. Wow. And there was a backlash against it. People saying, your treatment of women is horrific. It's very misogynistic. Mm-hmm. And his argument was that he didn't mistreat the women. His characters mm. mistreated the women. And that's all Bloody. part of this world. And I think that's that's interesting because I feel the same about Martin Scorsese's films. Right. That when people say that he glamorizes because at violence the, yes at the very end everybody does die mm-hmm. like sure. all those people who treated women terribly do end it, up dying i know so it's like gruesome death the, the question i go back and forth with and i'd love your opinion on this yeah. is like should you show this because that's the world that these women were in mm-hmm. right that's what happened to women mm-hmm. inside this gangster world if you think of something like uh, wolf of wall street by mm-hmm. martin scorsese yeah. It's very misogynistic, but that was the world of Wall Street. That's well, how they treated women. Then you get into like the glorification. You, you can yeah. choose what to put on screen. Exactly. You can hint at something if you want to. <sighs> yeah. You can be like, "This happened because this guy's a piece of shit." You don't have to show the woman being mistreated. I think that it's the perpetuation of yes, because assholes go see the Wolf of Wall Street. And say, I'm gonna do so many lewds later, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough. It's it's it, you look at something like Scarface, Al Pacino, and that, and that has been so glamorized, and so many young men around the world have taken that movie on as like just posters. Posters. They, they haven't and, seen the you know, movie. There's like cocaine yeah. and guns. It's you know they yeah. they might not take like the message. Rap. I think they yeah. love for that sure. film for sure. There's a there's there's a lot of that that thing that young Americans especially like are drawn to with the ideas of power and all this sort of st- stuff. I think it's tough because the conversation then goes to, do we put it on the artists to educate the public about how they should feel about s- these topics or is that not up to the artist because art is to be interpreted in many different ways? Hmm. And and that's it. I think that it depends on, on it de- de- so many factors. For me, I look at a director's entire filmography. If the director is saying, look, listen, that's the brutality of this world, and unfortunately in this specific story, women are treated very badly and they don't have a voice and it's it's about the dominance of the men and this is the story. That's fine because when, we, when we're looking at 
different voices in stories and film and diversity. Diversity doesn't mean having a checklist for every story in every movie. Diversity doesn't mean having, you know, a member of each ethnicity in your movie, like a Benetton ad. Like, that's not what diversity yeah. is. It's about also highlighting different stories with different groups of people entirely. Like, you know, the reason Black Panther is so diverse as a superhero movie is because it has a predominantly black cast. People that will criticize that, racists, will go, hey, that's not diverse, there's not enough white people in it. It's like, yeah. no, but when compared to the other movies of that same shorter, sort of genre. Yeah, and that was the world that they exactly. were in. Exactly. And then exactly. look at the uh, speaking time that Claw gets versus any exactly. black woman in that movie. So. Exactly. So it's about sort of looking at the bigger picture. And I look at something like uh, director Ridley Scott, who did Thelma and Louise, correct? Mm -hmm. That is a, a major milestone in female cinema. So if Ridley Scott has a movie where women aren't treated great, but at least Ridley Scott went to the effort of doing Thelma and Louise. And Alien. And Alien. But also you and, can tell, you, know, you can do something to tell their stories within the story you that you're can. telling anyway. You can. Mm -hmm. Like you know, show. We could have gotten more of Therese's Exactly. Yeah. Give her a little a bit more. I yeah. agree. I agree. Because so, I think, you know, he, he goes over the top with service. the violence and it does make you feel awful and, and, then you think about the brutality against women. So mm -hmm. the sort of a purpose to it, but then sometimes the violence women, particularly I do feel with Scorsese's films are glamorized sure. yeah, and definitely. it makes it look attractive and exciting. And mm -hmm. I agree, just need to have more of a backstory of these women. And how many, have but them. also with Scorsese, the phenomenal director that he is, how many movies has he made that are from the female perspective? Mm. You know, it's, there's not mm -hmm. a lot. Nope. I remember, I think it was Elizabeth Banks. Was it her that she sort of criticized oh, Steven yeah. Spielberg? and said Steven like Spielberg isn't making purple, yeah. Yeah, yeah Steven Spielberg isn't making uh, how, when's the last time we saw a female centric Steven Spielberg movie and I think she had a point even though a lot of people were like The Color Purple was phenomenal but that was from what 1990 or whenever it was that film came out and I think that it, that means that it's not necessarily on Spielberg to make sure that something like his you know Ready Player One is it, again checking off some kind of imaginary diversity list, but it's like, but Stephen, Sir Stephen, how many yes. you know voices are you are you highlighting, and how many sort of yes. you know in the yeah. producer role? What 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 can, what are you doing exactly. in that regard? If Steven Spielberg and other directors of his generation and of his gender and age feel like they want to stay in their own lane, and they're like, look, I'm going to make movies about about the male perspective and this is my life and this is my story that's fine but again using that power mm -hmm. using that influence doors. what kind of stuff are you doing yeah because uh you know you mentioned spielberg i mentioned scorsese they all came about from this holly mm -hmm. new hollywood era yeah, they all the 1970s watched this. they all yeah. watched these movies and that's what inspired where them they got it. and you know melville watched the movies of the 40s and 30s which were made by men and starring men and mm -hmm. had very violent scenes against women mm -hmm. um like women couldn't be trusted women uh, mm -hmm. always shady there's always something going on with them yeah. perpetual misogyny yeah machine. and so then you know once the 70s started in america and you have the um the the release of the production code so people could start making more interesting films yeah. that's when you had suddenly these male directors come out like scorsese and lucas and mm -hmm. spielberg and de palma mm -hmm. and of course they wanted to tell stories about men because that's the world that they knew sure. yeah. and so there's an interesting argument to be had that even in the 70s in hollywood where you had uh, the rise of second wave feminism and it was easier 
ish <laughs> for women to make films it was still there was less interesting roles for yes. women yes. from the 70s than there were back in the studio days when they were restricted against the production code mm-hmm. because these young men making movies only wanted to make movies about men and starring men and women were very much on the periphery i will mm-hmm. say one film by um scorsese uh alice doesn't live here anymore mm. that's the the outlier the film that i haven't seen that. oh that's a great that's film great. starring ellen burstyn mm. and she plays a mother who has dreams and fantasies of being a singer um and she goes to be a waitress and it was part of like a very small sorry i'm going on this rant no, go, here go, go, please, part, part of a very small movement called the neo neo women's film <laughs> and so it was like a couple of movies mainly made by men in the 70s that like john cassavetes a woman under the influence mm-hmm. that uh, were about these, this feeling that women felt at the time that uh, second wave feminism very much talked about where they still didn't have independence and they still didn't have rights and they were feeling uneasy about you know, coming from the 50s, 60s, the, the housewife role into suddenly new independent role going into the workforce. Mm-hmm. So there was a couple of those and Scorsese did a good job with that one. It's very much from the female perspective. Mm-hmm. It's a great film, but it is an outlier. The Most of the films made, which were influenced by films by Melville and Godard and Truffaut, mm-hmm. they were very much about uh, men, men's stories, and women yeah. were didn't have well, the backstories, didn't have yeah. the, the dialogue, yeah. didn't have the script, were just in there to be objects. Absolutely. All of that and more is covered in Alicia's book. <laughs> and rant. Backwards and <laughs> No, there's such great rants in the book. And it's, and yeah, I like the way you break down by decade and by era and sort of talk about what was happening and in the real world and how that was influencing film and, and all the branches yeah, and that Tarantino, come off of stuff. Like it's all, mm-hmm. it all, it all connects. Yeah. And I was going to say earlier, I don't have that film knowledge of, um, of Hollywood history, but what I do have is I have a, a, a knowledge about the history of comic books as an art form and so much of that intertwines and connects and so much of that is it, when you when you discuss decades like the 60s and 70s and 80s all of that i go to my comic book brain and i try to remember again what was happening in the united states and around the world in that decade and how it influenced comics mm-hmm. and i could easily trace it to like oh yeah I, uh, it makes total sense that that's what was happening in cinema because, i know and that's know. why you can't separate art from politics anything because anything. it's all tied mm-hmm. to what was happening in the world at the time mm-hmm. yeah absolutely even if you decide you're going to make something that's not political it's still a stance. it's still political yeah, yeah. yeah. i would Veggie say Tales even is like the most political exactly. thing ever. <laughs> it is it really is but i would Ramming say even Jesus things like throat. Even as things vegetables like the yeah. avengers i would say yeah. is still oh, political yeah hugely political you know people think of these movies as pure escapism nope. but no they always have a message Thor ragnarok is political it is oh i love Thor ragnarok because it's about the uh, the um, repercussions of colonialism. Yeah, and that's what that movie's about. And I, I'll explain. Like, I had a buddy who skipped it because he's like, I wasn't interested. And I was like, You should see it because it's Taika Waititi, and this is what he talks about. And so he checked it out, and he really liked it. And even the Avengers is about uh, American exceptionalism, and yeah. you know, and military policy, Law right? enforcement, like, and, all of yep. that. All oh, it's fascinating. And FBI then, recruitment. And, yes, that's of. why <laughs> the superhero movies that come later were like, you know, Shield has been infiltrated by Hydra. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. fascinating to me. Like, people don't think that's political. That's all saying something. And anyway, I could I could go on a rant about yeah superhero stuff <laughs> but it, no but it's very true that's why yeah. I, I, people say you know leave politics out of it you can't nope. you can't same when when you see a movie you can't leave who you are mm-hmm. like i could never forget that i'm a woman watching this movie yeah mm-hmm. absolutely exactly yeah. so yeah. it all weaves in alicia is there anything else you want to talk about for the film that we uh, are talking about today 
Um, well, I think it's one, obviously, it's very hard for people to find. So apologies <laughs> if you can't understand what we are talking about. If anybody wants to borrow our Korean imported <laughs> borrow the finger DVD man. copy, The Finger Man. Yeah. But I do think that it is an interesting period to delve into. Mm-hmm. I do love 60s French movies. There's something about them that are very cool, very stylish. Um, I love black and white in the 60s mm-hmm. because Cigarettes. it had that... Yeah, lots of cigarettes, uh, yeah. lots of shadows and light, and um, and and I just find it it always is worthwhile del- delving into these kind of films, mm-hmm. even if it's not the best ones sure. out there. But yeah, I, I thought it was very. It was still super. It's really fun to watch again. Yeah, and like I said, the kind of film that at first I was like, oh yeah, this is it's getting confusing. There's a lot of talking, and but then at the end, then at the end, it all comes together, and then yeah. it's really exciting. Yeah, it that's is true. Yeah, I didn't see any of it coming. Yeah, got me good. Keller, I want you to flip to the end of this list, and I want you to hand it to Alicia because I want to pick her brain about Ooh, the yeah. top, to, like the top ten, like I'm the so t- intrigued, <laughs> like the top ten, well, top fifteen. Here's number one. Godfather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you got number one is the Godfather. Ah. Mm-hmm. Oh. The Apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, number two. Oh, Star Wars, number The Apartment's three. still not number 10, though. Yes. None of the top yeah. 10. Yeah, Shawshank Redemption, Jaws, Goodfellas, Apocalypse Now, Singing in the Rain, Pulp Fiction, Fight Club. I do find it interesting that they are all films from the 70s onwards, apart from Singing in the Rain. Mm. Yeah. That's the only film pre-1970. Uh, yeah. And Raiders is like tail end of the 70s into the 80s. Yeah, and they yeah. are all... Films by guys, obviously, and also a lot of the men that came up at that time, Mm -hmm. Coppola, Spielberg, uh, Scorsese, Mm -hmm. um, all at the 1970s, the French New Wave. I love The Apartment. That's actually my favorite film of all time. I love that movie, too. Is The Apartment. It's number 12. We'll put put you in 10 years from now. (laughs) Write it down. I think I'm available. You just have to check my schedule. Lisa Frank, pencil it in. 2028? Yes. Okay. But I do love The Apartment, and Singing in the Rain is also up there for me in in Mm -hmm. my personal top 10. What is it about The Apartment that that makes it your favorite? Do you think it's the greatest film of all time, or it's just your personal favorite? Personal favorite of all time. Because, uh, well, Billy Wilder was obviously such a... A master, not only directing but also writing, and mm-hmm. the way that he's able to blend tone in this that film. That movie's so funny, but mm-hmm. so, so sad. sad. It's the saddest. I mean, it's got it's, it talks about suicide, yeah. you know, and and romance, and is. and it's the kind of film that I, I watch multiple times a year, and I, I've related to it at different characters at different moments in my life. Mm. So Jack Lemmon playing this guy who found it very found it very hard to say no. I mean, that was someone I could relate to as a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And then Shelley McLean's character falling for the bad guys instead of the good guy that's right in front of her. Could definitely relate to that. It's very <laughs> funny. There's great little moments. Uh, Jack Lemmon is probably so my favorite good. actor because he has such physicality. His face but, can yeah. do anything. Yes, mm-hmm. and there's a great scene in there where he sees the broken mirror and he puts two and two together about what's happening and you see his face change just so subtly and you know exactly how he's feeling. So that's why that's one of my favorite film is my favorite film of all time. Wow. And Singing in the Rain is an early film that I saw and it's it's a film that I 
I often recommend as a good gateway into classic film mm-hmm. because it's so entertaining. It's really fun. It also has Hollywood history in there being about the change from the silent era to the sound yeah. era and great yeah. musical moments, obviously. Really great. What's your favorite yeah, song from Singing in the Rain? Uh, I love uh, Good Morning, Good Morning. I do too. And I love how intricate that dance is and how they go all around the apartment and they do the couch flip. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I also love Make Him Laugh. Yes, my which favorite. Which is, yeah. yeah it's, Moses Supposes might be Yes, mm-hmm. there's so many great it's moments so in there. And, um, you know, Debbie Reynolds is just so mm-hmm. beautiful in that film. She yeah. is. Yeah. Like a star. She's the She's true champion amazing. of that movie. I know. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she is. She's 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 19. 19, same age as Carrie Fisher was when she first played wow. Princess Leia. Wow. Those two had really interesting parallels in their life. Fuck you, Gene Kelly. And I got yeah. to... Um, yeah. <laughs> Boo, Gene Kelly. Boo. Fuck you, Gene Kelly. <laughs> and I, um, I actually got to speak with Debbie Reynolds really briefly oh, on the phone. Amazing. I was at the Telluride Film Festival. This was just a couple of months before she died. Mm-hmm. And um, Todd Fisher was their brother of Carrie, a son of Debbie. Mm-hmm. And he was with we with a bunch of people from TCM and we we're all talking about Debbie and singing in the rain. And then I just get handed this phone from Todd and it said like Debbie no. in brackets, mum. <laughs> and no, he was like, go man. talk to her. Because I was like, I love singing in the rain. <laughs> I was like, hi. <laughs> and she was just really confused as to who I was. Oh, no. <laughs> but uh, she was really sweet. That's and I just amazing. said, oh, I wow. just, I, I, you know, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but I just wanted to say thank you for you know, everything you've done, particularly with preserving Hollywood history because yeah. she bought a lot of the costumes as MGM was being destroyed. Wow. They were just going to get rid of all this Hollywood history co- costumes, props, and she saved it all from her own money um, because she thought this is important to yeah, preserve awesome. this history. So anyway. Do you feel like you have, uh, you know, because you are you you are kind of an ambassador for, for classic movies and film history and you're of a younger generation and you're out here and you're championing these movies. Do you feel like you kind of have a little bit of responsibility to, to, to take yeah, on that role? I do. I do feel like my mission in life is to preserve Hollywood history and to pass it on to another generation. Yeah. I mean, of course, the late, great Robert Osborne was someone who was an amazing film historian because the way that he told the stories, you could tell that he loved them and he was passing them on to more people and I'd love to c- continue that tradition. I've got so much more that I need to learn, but I've, I've always felt that and all the places that I've worked at before, I always felt like a bit of the odd person out. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, I remember once someone saying to me when I was like, oh, I, I don't know about Black Panther. This was before the film came out. They're oh. like, what <laughs> What do you know? Because yeah. I was like, I don't know about this. I don't know about sure. Spider-Man. And oh, like, only everything else. And I was else. like, yeah. oh, just films. <laughs> Name any other movie. Yeah, yeah I always tried yeah. to like weave it in where I could and try to get young people excited and, and that's uh, always the greatest feeling for me is when someone mm-hmm. tweets me and says, oh. just watch this film for the first time and it's my favorite movie. Yeah. And that makes me that's feel so, so proud. Great. So, that's awesome. Yeah, that's my mission in life. And one day I'd love to earn that title of film historian, but I've still got a long way to go. Alicia, I think you've already got it. Yeah, you did it. You did it. You wrote <laughs> a book. Not I, compared yeah. to some of these. There's so many, there's great so many words in that book. <laughs> I think, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I think for, for a person of your generation, knowing as much as you know, that's already, you're already taking on the role of, you're a current film historian and you will continue to be a film historian. Yeah. Ambassador way, is you know, a very good word for you're it. You're an ambassador, yeah. yeah I take it. I, I feel like the same thing is, is my case with comic books. Mm-hmm. I really do feel like I really lucked out because I loved the comic book world since I was a kid. It just so happened that now yeah. there are these Hollywood 
projects. And I lucked out that my investment in my little corner it of- It paid off right paid at the off, right time. It paid off to where now people are like, oh, you know about this thing? It's the movie, It's my favorite movie. Go tell me about this thing. And I've always loved movies and, and, and music and video games and, and television. But um, since kind of bringing that to- Los Angeles and sort of the jobs that I've been having the past couple of years, I've been so happy to. That's part of the reason I'm doing this thing with Keller mm. is I pitched this to him. I was like, do you want to watch a random movie with me once a week <laughs> with a guest for 10 years and like learn more about, you know? Yeah, okay. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> sure. Yeah, okay. Why not? Sure. <laughs> I know, but that's, uh, I mean, you have such a great way of, of weaving in your comic book knowledge with politics and talking about yeah. real issues and and making sure that doesn't leave the conversation. It's I think that's we've very had our comic book movie so far. Yeah, we had we yeah. talked about Superman oh, Returns I mean, except yeah. it was Superman Returns. Here's, oh, here's look, you got Dark Knight at number top, fifteen. How angry are you? What what would you put that as? <laughs> I'd put it in the top five hundred. Yeah. yeah, but I'd it put good, it in the back yeah. two fifty. Citizen Kane is twenty eight. Yeah. yeah. Did you know that Dark Knight is wow. better than Citizen I, Kane? This, yeah, is a, this is a I podcast. Didn't know that right now. Yeah, I need to learn a lot. I need to describe right now. This is a, because this is just an audio podcast. Alicia Malone is ripping out her hair right now as we speak. <laughs> ripping this she, magazine she's, apart. She's giving us these looks like like we did this. Her like, eyes mm-hmm. are so white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, greatest is always subjective, right? It is. So it's, it's hard to say I, what is a and great at least Lawrence film. Lawrence of Arabia it's got like a five-page. But at least I got like yeah. a five-page write-up. Yeah. One of the all the most influential film. I mean, especially Absolutely. on Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. He always talks about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting I mean, list. It is. It is a. But very you will see a variety of films, which yeah. is good. I wish we there will. were more. We've seen some bad ones. <laughs> I mean, I wish there were more. Um... Have you seen Flesh by Paul Morrison? <laughs> no. Don't do, do I it. need to? No. Andy Warhol produced it. It's really bad. <laughs> uh, oh, it's an Andy Warhol. It's just, yeah. It's just an he art just like from the it. factory. Yeah. It's, it's not. Oh, he just produced it. He didn't even direct it's it. It's not like no, a real yeah. narrative. It's just like an experimental, you know. And, and Well, yeah, you've got tough. some good ones ahead. Yeah. Not very far. You've got mm-hmm. The Deer Hunter yeah. coming mm-hmm. up. Get to watch three hours of... Yeah. Russian roulette. Yeah. <laughs> um. The original Halloween. I really love the original Halloween. Well, I really love Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, I haven't seen Terry it yet. Gilliam, and I'm it, and it, it does hold up, even though some mm-hmm. of the you know technology looks dated now. Mm-hmm. I think what it has to say. We get to talk about really Terry important. Gilliam too. I know. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't get into Time Bandits. That was another. That, that was movie's Terry, nuts. It's crazy. It couldn't. Yeah, everyone's crazy. like, I love it, and I'm like, I tried. I couldn't it's get like, into. I'll watch Bill and Ted. Akira. Seen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got some interesting years ahead of you guys. But it's. But I think that um you you talked about it earlier. Like it it's the greatest is so subjective. Kel and I have landed on like one of two categories describe movies on this list either they are actually genuinely great and such good film or they're like influential mm. like they they were you know because number 499 on the list is the first saw film mm. that movie was made for a million dollars and made a hundred million dollars like that was an influential movie it influenced the horror genre Absolutely. and it's totally clear that Micro it did that budget horror it is yeah. a, it i don't like them i think it's a bad it's movie. a bad but movie. it's yeah. st- you know movie. It's, it's, it's about the influence include because you know? yeah exactly and james one can't wait to lost. see more James Wan stuff. That's great, but uh, yeah. Um, Aquaman. Yeah. Aquaman. 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 Shh. Aquaman. Aquaman. Does he whisper? Yeah. yeah, he's underwater. <laughs> Who is that? Aquaman. Oh no. Shh. Aquaman. I'm water. Quiet. <laughs> oh my gosh, uh, Alicia! Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you to for the having show me. Today. I this appreciate was a delight. it. This it was, was really fun. A real pleasure. Uh, where can people? 
pre-order your stuff yeah. can people follow your work so that they can get the book when it comes out yes i mean i think you can pre-order it on amazon which always makes me nervous when i haven't finished the book it was the same <laughs> with the first one so you could find backwards and in heels and the female gaze on amazon or you can follow me on the social medias at alicia malone across the board uh if you have tcm you can see me on sundays mm-hmm. and tuesdays talking about classic films introducing them cool. and then if you have filmstruck make sure you click on those original features if you want to see me pop up and tell you about like if we, we did a whole jean pierre melville section yeah. so i got to talk about That's his awesome. films overall that's awesome yeah we got like filmstruck fun. we got filmstruck we got for it. this Yay. project and we Good. cannot recommend it highly enough because yes. we've seen because it just has so many great we saw what do we saw we saw uh rebel without a cause mm-hmm. we saw the secret life of Walter Mitty, the original. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is both of those. Super yeah. fun. Super mm. fun. So you and it's, get uh, it's very curated. So it's if very you don't helpful. know where to start. Go by director, go yeah. by decade, mm-hmm. go by... And everything's picked by a person and not an algorithm. Cool. So that means that if you go on Filmstruck and you're like, where do I start with foreign films? You're guaranteed to have an interesting time. Like you said, it might not be a great film, but it might be an influential film mm-hmm. or something that's interesting about it. It's a reason why every film is on there. I definitely I watch more Melville movies. Now. Yeah. Yes. I'm looking forward to it. I know. I don't think you should wait so long before I'm not seeing going the Samurai. To, no. Trust well, me. That I one's way yes. I think you should get it. Okay. Alicia, in we got now. a okay. lot it's of on, movies. That one is I on Filmstruck, I think. I would push that. Oh, okay, we'll push like, it up. Okay, well, we've got to watch Peter years. Jackson's King Kong before we get to that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, a lot of stuff to get to. That one. Kind of menace, King with a Crystal Skull. Yeah, we got it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, important stuff um, on the docket. Yeah, I love curated stuff. In this era of like everything being available at our fingertips. And everything being an algorithm telling yeah. us and what to what. And personally curated. I yeah. think people are starting to get smart to like, we need our stuff curated. That's why I love my little Nintendo the uh, Super Nintendo Classic thing that we got that just has 30 games in there because oh, it was okay, curated, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. people are like, Hector, you can just download all of those illegally and have them all for free. And I'm like, I don't want every Nintendo video game mm. ever made. I want a curated list of the good ones so I don't have to, you know, sift through the crap. I know, and Netflix, I mean, just because I watched A Christmas Prince <sighs> over Christmas time when I was feeling lonely and felt like something cheap doesn't mean I want to see all the bad romantic well you movies. have to now yeah <laughs> that's the only thing it's showing me like, come on yeah i mean i i feel bad because so many people joke about like we're spending two and a half hours just going through the netflix queue yeah i feel like i'm lucky that i use netflix only when i know exactly what it is that i want to watch i yeah. just kind of stopped watching new I'm shows browsing on yeah netflix i'm like anymore. i can't it's i can't do, like i, I have so my time. i have my list you know i have my list of stuff that we're going through but i feel bad that people spend entire evenings like what do you want to watch mm. babe i don't know what do you want to watch i don't know what about this? I don't know. Yeah, it's now it's too late. Let's go to sleep. Yeah. yeah. That's a bummer. That's why you got to get Filmstruck. It's curated for you. Exactly. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> Alicia, thanks again for being on the podcast. Keller, Thank what are we you. watching next week? Next week, we're watching Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. It's my favorite Harry Potter. Ooh. It's mine as well. Mine too. Alfonso Cuaron. He's the best. Yes, and who's so going to be our guest? With our guest, Catherine Leon. We should, uh, let me look up to see if Harry Potter is streaming anywhere. It was on HBO, but I think they took it off. Okay, let's check. I'm sure that it's rentable. But I have let me see two here. Blu-rays. If someone wants to borrow one. <laughs> yeah, send yeah. Them out. At this point, y'all. It is my favorite of the Harry Potter films because it, it was too. the first one that had this real distinct mood change. Mm-hmm. I think, like the book, right? It changed yeah. the tone of the entire series. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, very dark. And recast and cast all the major cool roles. Yes. It's, uh, it's how you get Gary Oldman and. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, we'll and save our, it. We'll our save new it. Dumbledore. It's great, but it, no, it's a really good film, and it's available <laughs> to rent on Amazon for three bucks. And basically, you can rent it anywhere else for three bucks as well, like YouTube, Apple, PlayStation, and you can buy it and stuff. But if you don't, but if any of you it, dorks don't have this movie, come then. on, <laughs> I'm sure you have it on Blu-ray or you know somebody that has it. Yeah. So I think we have two copies of that in our house exactly. right now. Read the book. Come on, you <laughs> dorks. <laughs> All right, Alicia. Thanks again so much for being on the show. Yes, thank you. Thank um, you. And so much. Go get backwards and in heels and pre-order the female gaze. And we will see you guys next week with Prisoner of Azkaban. Goodbye. Okay, bye. Bye.